welcome back to the third place. Uh, I am, it's a little bit, almost 11 p.m., but, you know, when you have a guest like I have right now, you can't help but literally talk for hours and hours and then forget, oh, hey, we have a podcast to record. But I am literally so excited for my guest tonight. He's arguably one of my dearest friends, one of the one of the first people I truly could speak on it with games, and he's truly one of the only people who can match my autism for this medium. It's the one and only. <laughs> it's the one and only Logan. How are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm. <laughs> I I I was literally looking forward to tonight because, uh you and I click in a way, not just with video games, but just in general, like we, it's like we share a brain in so many regards, whether it comes from the gym or movies or, or games or even fragrance, really like you and I really have clicked since day one, since we first talked, I will never forget your first DM to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. how could you? <laughs> Oh man, no, that uh, I but I've truly have valued your friendship, Logan. Since I shoot, honestly, it's been two years since we, man, yeah, we we've started talking back and forth. I mean, uh, like I I can't speak highly enough about you. Whenever I mention you to people that I talk to daily, it's you are one of the <clears throat> one of the most insightful people that I know. You have a perspective on anything that really makes me think think differently but like also push myself to like really view you know i for example like games since you know that's what we're here that's what we talk about on this show but you you really allow me to back and forth in a way that is just so fun to do like i you know th this show uh, really does stem from this one specific discord call you and i had two years was it two years ago i believe it was or i, one I year. think so yeah like, we no, i, I want to say it was it was winter yeah it was um, winter it was it winter. was cold as fuck for me <laughs> i it was literally like negative five outside and i just remember telling my wife i was like just just leave me alone for a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> uh dear dear friend of ours dave dave bald uh beautiful we, david we, we were in his discord and he and i were playing insurgency sandstorm and you popped into the voice chat and i had stopped playing and oh my oh I'm remembering that night too. We were laughing about the fucking uh monkey with and then photoshopping Zin pouches <laughs> on the monkey. Like um like there was one specific thing in that night where me, you and Dave literally lost our minds over. Like there was something in like while me and him were playing insurgency, like we collectively lost our marbles. Like uh it, I, I I wish I could remember it might have been the monkey, but uh but after I'd stopped playing, like, and we were still in the chat, like, I think we, you and I just stepped aside and we just literally started talking for hours upon hours about Silent Hill. And it was like from that moment that I knew I could speak on it, so to say, about video games. Like, 
yeah, so I mean, I can't heap enough praises about you. You're truly a wonderful friend, and I'm so excited to have you on for a discussion about the legendary Half-Life 2. But before we get to there, I want to ask you specifically, you are a man of rich history with this medium, and I want to know where where did where did we baby Logan say video games are all right with me? Man, first of all, thank you um so very much you're so kind what a Aww. what a lovely person really <laughs> thank you oh um, no, please it, so this this is going to be kind of an odd one um i don't know how many people are even familiar with like obviously the nintendo right like the original mm. the the nes yeah. um that was the jam for for kids like my age i was probably six um and uh all these all these games that i had were like old at the time yeah um and one specifically that that kind of triggered my autism is this game called kid nikki have you ever even uh, heard of that no never oh dude okay so like <laughs> essentially it is a side scrolling basically like fighter mm-hmm. um replays this little kid ninja basically and you beat the shit out of people with a stick (laughs) (laughs) Um, i don't know you know maybe it resonated with me being like a little (laughs) rascal i just i can remember unlocking so many of my of my like dormant memories of being a kid and like that was the one thing that i could sit there and be like this fucking rocks Um, i I, I'm looking up pictures of it. Kid Nikki the Radical Ninja. Yeah, dude. Like the, the the box art for it is incredible. <laughs> oh, it is it's an experience. They're like Japanese folding screen doors. Um it, it's vaguely cinematic in a way. <laughs> um I just remember dying a lot for like <laughs> stupid input mistakes that kids make where it's like I'm just going to jump in this hole. <laughs> uh, and, you know, this was back in the day where, ga- you know, games were like ball bustingly difficult and they oh, were yeah. like, they were just like asking for kids, like just to like literally spend their eons into. Oh, dude. Yeah. Dump the fucking quarter in, you know, that was the entire concept of design back then. Yeah. Pump, pump an arcade, pump your allowance in and you get to, potentially get to go to level two (laughs) like points being something that every game had even though it was an arbitrary thing yeah because as numbers go up i feel good well even mega man to am i am i wrong mega man had like arcane point system for some reason yeah yeah uh yeah yeah it did i'm pretty sure it did which in the constant constant context oh my god uh in the context of Mega Man, that makes no sense. <laughs> like, no, it's it's like an adventure action adventure game, like where it's about defeating you know the robot masters, and it's not about like beating your friend's high score. So it's like I, whenever a game nowadays like includes a score, it's like what are you trying to prove here? <laughs> I just yeah, I I want to say that was my first big experience Mm -hmm. um and i would play that and some other really weird 
um, oddball games that I think my grandfather bought from some auction. Because mm-hmm. he was like, ah, the kids will love this. <laughs> um, and then it, it was me, like, it being the only one out of my siblings that, like, got to experience it. Because I was always like a little grandma's head kid who was like, I just have to be around my grandparents. It's so fun. I mean, I'm in the same boat. I remember, even though my grandparents didn't have like a game console, it's like I have specific like fondness for those like summer vacations I would have to Michigan with them. Like, I it's so weird. Like, I always looked forward to like at night uh, watching on their like, 80s CRT TV so I could, because I, just because I was messaging you this beforehand so I could watch World Wildest Police videos hell yes <laughs> like there, there's such like a comfort to like the grandparents understand their whippersnapper children like even though they don't at the same time like I I I, I love that your grandparents your grandfather is like you know what Logan needs kid Nikki <laughs> Dude, this this man just wanted me to stop carrying rocks and cinder blocks in the yard. It makes it sound a lot more like a kid prison than it was, but I literally, as a child, would just go outside and carry heavy things around. <laughs> well, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense, considering that you uh, are literally like a super soldier bodybuilder. So it's like... Well, thank you. Well, it's like, wow, he was destined for this from the get-go. I I lift heavy thing, head and, voice go away. And then I put it down, and then I'm happy. It I don't know. It was that or running <laughs> circles around their fucking dining room table until I would, like, fall dangerously into things. Uh, you and I have a similar brain because I did that, but I did it in my parents' <laughs> but, but my. But my thing involved going around my parents' kitchen and then hitting my head on the counter and getting stitches. <laughs> so, oh, so you I, know, yeah, the, the the young boy need to run around a table definitely is shared. Dude, I don't know what it is. Like, I feel like life would be so much better if I just took a sprint around my dining room table, but I can't do that. I'm just imagining- I have responsibilities. I'm just imagining you, like your wife, like wake hearing like thud, 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 and you're like at six in the morning running around the dinner table. She's like, "Why are you doing this?" It's like, "Don't worry, this is my time." I'm like Jocko Willink. I'm waking up at four a.m. to run circles around the dining room table. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Um, oh. Oh, oh. My god. This episode, we're only like 10 minutes in, and this is the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, Kid Nikki, yeah, I guess that was really like the first hit of crack for me. <laughs> um, I would, you know, I, I enjoyed because the difficulty is somewhat punishing, like, you have to be frame perfect on certain moves, yeah. Um, and it, of course, it's like classic Nintendo arcade side scroller. So there's all kinds of cheap ways for you to die where it's like, oh, well, there's just this little ninja on a cloud throwing like throwing stars at you and you can't stop him. So you have to stop these weird little guys sprinting at you. Yeah, I mean, I'm like looking at and of course, like the developer of the of Kid Nikki never heard of them. The only one is Irem. That's like who? (laughs) 
Wait, wait okay. Uh, and not to diverge, but <laughs> they have an arcade. They had a, an IREB ca uh, arcade cabinet inspired by Madonna. What? That okay. That explains a lot about my life. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, back to the story. Kid Nicky, uh, little, uh, little little Logan playing Kid Nicky on his yeah, NES. I and that, and then I got. I think it was Sid Meier's Pirates for the NES. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And man, if you want to talk about autism, <laughs> that game was like autastic. <laughs> I I just remember dumping so many, so many hours into that. And like yeah. the gameplay loop was so like simplistic, mm -hmm. but holy shit. Does it click a thing in your brain, in your monkey, oh, in your yeah. monkey brain? A hundred thousand times over. I could probably pick that game up today and play it for twenty hours straight. Well, it's okay. This is a. Uh, I don't know if you ever felt this, and I was saying this because I was I was messaging Alex uh, from earlier in, in the sh is season. Uh, and he he doesn't have like per se like our sort of history with games, but he always thought like Sid Meier was like a fake person. I don't know if you ever felt this. Like he always kind of felt like a character in a game, even though he's like a guy. Like I, I've always kind of viewed the Sid Meier universe of games. It's like he he almost becomes like a character of the games he makes, and it's always kind of made me curious about him, even though I've never really gotten into them. So I mean. I don't know if you've ever felt that, just as like a sort of aside. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. Because, but, well, you think about it, like no other people who are making games out there. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess except like most recently, it'd be like Player Unknown, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like they're they're like ascribing their universe to their actual name or handle. Yeah, and that's kind of odd to think about. I mean, like, how fucking conceited are you? Like, you have to be the focus of this thing that's not even really you. Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, on the say, on the on on a on the other side of the coin, it's like you know, Kojima puts his name onto his games, but that makes complete like you know he's he you know he is the director, but like Sid Meier, I don't know if it's just because his name is kind of goofy, like. I don't know if like that maybe is like why I I have felt that maybe and Alex felt that but like uh, the the concept of like a guy's name attached to a game even back then because like Sid Meier's Pirates were like 1990 I believe yeah uh, dude but I think that's like that was like a novel concept that like I mean I guess you could say that was the origin of the director I guess like the auteur like and this guy is like making a computer NES game. And he's like, I had, you know what, guys? Listen, I know we all are a team, but I have to put my name on this. Yeah, there's there's something kind of odd about that, I guess. I, I mean, I'm like never a, I embrace like the sort of singular director vision of a game, like obviously because I'm Kojima's uh, biggest dick sucker online. Um, hey, like... you're in you're in a tight competition now. <laughs> Like, you know, like, I, I I always champion, like, you know, a Kojima, like, the Kojima project or, like, the Suda51 project or, 
the Hideki Kamiya, pro, you know, like that sort of thing. Like I always love that sort of thing. <laughs> Maybe it's just because Sid Meier is a funny name. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm even making sense per se, but like, I, I love the idea of this 1990 ass NES game has like a man's name slapped to it is like a very charming idea to me. It It is kind of like, I don't know. It is, it is kind of like, yes, it is the director or like the auteur responsible, you know, it, it carries that same, I guess, kind of signal that you'd get with something like Stanley Kubrick's the shining. Mm -hmm. But when it's just like little pixelated pirates dancing around with like a two pixel wide sword stabbing mm -hmm. at another little goofy looking guy yeah like it it, it does kind of make you go this is your this is what you wanted to be known for yeah and i guess you know it's a little different maybe like with film like you look at silent film and like you had dw griffith sort of being you know, you, you know what a D.W. Griffith film is, but like I don't, maybe games are just unique because like at that time they were viewed so primitively, like, you know, it's, you know, eight bit systems with limited color palettes and limited sound capabilities. And, you know, the idea that someone was someone at the well, someone was at the helm for, you know, envisioning this grand thing was like maybe like a foreign idea so I, you know i think in hindsight i'm glad that he did because sid meyer has sort of you know his even as like say like civilization the newer civilization games don't have his name like his name is you still think of sid meyer sid meyer's civilization sid meyer's pirates like i i'm glad he did it's just like you think of like Eight eight bit graphics, you know, and this guy's like he he was willing to put his name out there for that alone. So, uh, I I love that Sid Meier's Pirates is that is part of your journey to today. Oh man, yeah, and that um, there was a weird Robin Hood film tie in game for the NES. Oh really? And oh dude, it is it, it's genuinely I think worth playing now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got a weird, um, well, I say weird. I know there are people out there who have like experienced this, especially, uh, people like from me and Jack's kind of same generation, um, fist of the North star. Mm -hmm. Oh dude. Um, I would pump hours into that game, having no idea what the fuck was going on. Speak, speaking of fist of the north star did you see that like there's like a punt like a boxing fitness game that has fist of the north star like graphics on top of it what yeah i i don't know the name of it but they like literally slapped over like fist of the north star on this like <laughs> fitness boxing game for the switch and i'm like you know i actually think this is a brilliant idea i the switch proving time and again that it's got the only innovation going for it in the industry <laughs> right now. I, uh, man, that, that system, as much as I want to hate it, it will barf out a thing that I'm just like, who came up with this? This seems actually kind of cool. My Switch is like covered in a year's worth of dust um, and I uh, still buy new games for it. How, I mean, how? how? 
I, I, I mean, mine sits in my little travel, my my gay little traveling case. It's like, It's your yeah, purse, bro. yeah. <laughs> oh my god, my little purse that has all its like the little cartridges, like <laughs> listed in alphabetical order because I'm that retarded. But well, if you need to find it, you don't want to have to scroll through all of them. It yeah, only makes that's. sense to alphabetize it. I mean, especially with those fucking boring ass cart boxes they come in with the solid. Ah, uh, yeah. Where, where, you know, where's the flavor with those boxes? It's like, you know, this just the boring white text on the side. This proves how me and you are so autistic about games because we're bitching about fucking box arts. On. <laughs> I'll tell you what pisses me off is like some Switch games on the spine, they don't have the color band in the same alignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I don't know. I don't know why, because I'm I'm such like a not autistic about that, you know, um, where I can have like these big box PC games that just look like freak abominations sitting on a shelf. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Um, especially and then I see, especially <laughs> I see these neat little boxes and I'm like, fucking nuke Japan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh my uh, man one day i'm gonna have like a switch expose like call out video episode and just be like this fucking console makes me so mad as it pumps out like the most like ho-hum games you've ever heard of and then it pumps out shin megami tensei 5 so i'm just like make make up your mind you fucking like you you bizarro japanese people like come on now like I love that they had the balls to release a game that like doesn't even run properly on the console. oh yeah <laughs> it's like these environments like are beautiful and you'll love them at eight frames eight per second. eight frames a second it it, it will freeze it will freeze for a half a second But you know what? You're gonna enjoy it, you fucking little. <laughs> it's like, and you know what? They were right. I Well, ate that. I ate that shit up. I'm 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 a hundred percent convinced that there's a a third of the audience who's just going <laughs> along with all of the intrigue because in their minds they're like I don't know if the protagonist is a boy or a girl. this fabulous. fabulous looking uh femme boy running around with his purple blue hair uh the skinny little twink and it's just like i know that there's like some like normie ass player it's like am i supposed to be attracted to this person or not I'm so popular out how long? <laughs> it's so true though like come on now um Um, man, it's like it, this is going to be a recurring theme between you and me tonight. Is that uh, we can talk about anything, and we go the the and this is where the whole mantra of this show comes from is you and me talking. Like it's like we you you our little talk about Silent Hill two in that one fateful winter, uh, and it's like that was the seed planted. like i knew i knew i could talk with i knew i could talk with somebody about games and it's like well this is just proving it right now this episode is just like proof positive that the show could happen and it's like i don't know it's like uh, i 
literally I'm like just overjoyed. It's such so fun to just talk to you about games because you and I share a Same, brain. Same, brother. Same. You, you and I share a brain on so much, but video games, we are just like twins. Are you a bad enough dude to listen to me poorly compare Andre Tarkovsky to a pixelated <laughs> piece of shit on a 20-year-old console? <laughs> listen, if you can't make that connection, are you a true fan? <laughs> uh man so uh to get to get back on topic so we're 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 at Sid Meier's Pirates so where do we where does young Logan go from there I want to say that's like I want to say my my older brother got a Super Nintendo and he wanted some really odd game for it that was like I, I don't even remember the franchise I just remember being really perplexed why he didn't want to get like Donkey Kong or, you know, something that like my child brain could familiarize itself with. Mm -hmm. And then he got tired of it or he, I don't know, maybe it was baseball related, but I just remember like suddenly the, the super Nintendo was my thing. Mm -hmm. And I finally broke my parents' spirit enough that they got me (laughs) the, the Donkey Kong country, the, the first one. Oh man, that's a that's a great one to get. And I was like, this is fucking photorealistic. <laughs> that's a real... I'm really I'm really donking the Kong, Mom. You're, you're really a monkey. You have become you've returned a monkey. And uh I, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> I mean I I mean if Donkey Kong Country is such a like a it's such a wild game like because it was it was not i mean nintendo giving one of their sort of original video game ips to a bunch of british people and saying uh you do something with this is like kind of like it's charming in retrospect but it's like hot damn did rare have like a vision for donkey kong and on the super nintendo with those pre-rendered sprites that look they look gorgeous to this day like the the, colors dude like they're they're on a next level and and the and the audio too like they really used the super nintendo's audio chip to like holy god levels of like just beauty like i i i always have like a soft spot for the genesis and how the genesis sounds like you know i like streets of rage like that that is so beautiful to listen to, but it's like you hear sticker brush, uh, sticker brush symphony, and it's just like, okay, well, uh, Nintendo won this angle, sort of oh, like, yeah. like uh, the Super Nintendo has always been kind of like, I, in a way, like, because I always view the PlayStation as like the sort of the birth of like exciting new potentials or games but i feel like the nes really kind of the and the genesis too it's like those two systems really got the possibilities like the the potential of games was being like it it, it was like again like it was being the seed planted like you have donkey kong country but then you have like the uh you had like japan bringing over jrpgs with like Seeker of Mana, you have like the the few Final Fantasies coming overseas. You had Dragon's Quest, you know, 
even though they didn't come over on the Super into America, you had like Shin Megami Tensei starting proper on the Super Nintendo. It's like uh, the, it's kind of like ground zero, so to say, of gaming. I mean, there's obviously great things on the NES, but it's like the Super Nintendo and the Genesis, like that era. It's like you see, like you see the 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 rumblings of something big is coming, come coming. Yeah, well, and, and to touch on that, like going from the Super Nintendo into the PlayStation and Nintendo sixty four, um, and even the Game Boy, you know, that I mm-hmm. I can recall like kids sniping other kids on the bus to like be like, "Give me one of your batteries, my shit's on red." <laughs> it, it it was like all of these elements were so distinct and and different from one another mm-hmm. like you'd have kids playing pokemon at the same time these other kids are playing like a weird movie tie-in game mm-hmm. um and they're all talking about it with such fervor and like it, it really seemed like the marketplace of ideas for games were were like limitless at the time um mm-hmm. and then I, I don't know i i can remember so like when i got the playstation the very first one um it was the big gray playstation oh um i didn't I have a dual shock controller mm-hmm. um I don't it was have... <laughs> do you have your video still on uh look what i got baby Ooh, hey courtesy of, a... courtesy of dear server member ra well ra what a fucking legend and he and he shipped it to me in a PS2 box, so automatically RA is the guy. I much love the RA. I, um, the the Cobalt the the Cobalt chat is full of, of fantastic people. Other, obviously Dave. The uh, not to tangent. I mean, not to tangent, but to tangent on Dave. Uh, what a guy. Uh, like, I love him so much. <laughs> he he's genuinely one of the the just truly fascinating and lovable people you can ever meet or talk to like Dave and Don, I don't know. They like unlocked a part of my brain that (laughs) I I had just kind of given up on. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say had it not been, had it not been for like encyclopedia.zone and Don's YouTube channel and Dave, like I don't know that I would have been able to do Twitter. Yeah. You know, I just I like it would have repulsed me mm-hmm. enough that I would have just been like I don't really need that. Mhm. Yeah, I mean I, I mean, granted I was not on that site, which by the way, that site has an equally beautiful beautiful man that you and I both have a fond connection to, one Hayden. Uh, oh Hayden uh, but like I never was on that site but like even then I knew if I had found that site I think I would have jived with everything that was there even seeing it even seeing it that like you know sort of the it's sad to think about like sort of the the leftovers of the site as it kind of sits dormant nowadays but like I like that's what I feel like i I would have clicked even in the encyclopedia, you know, in that, in that website, 
because I think everyone who was a part of it kind of has has like a brain similar to each other. We both we all like a lot of the same things. We both think a lot of the same things, and you know, I I always do treasure the you know that's <laughs> just getting a dm from dave on twitter and it's just like here's this metal gear solid dojin <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like you know what like there there are few people on this planet like him and i uh any chance that i uh especially especially with you and me where we dave post uh with the oh, crocodile dave often. posting dave posting hours uh uh, I just wanted to quickly mention Dave, otherwise known as Cobald, on Twitter. Rest in, you know, his his long dormant Twitter account. But uh, not to sorry to tangent on that. But no, that's uh, uh, Dave. Yeah. Dave is is an in- integral part to my internet happenings. It, same here. I mean, <laughs> he was like the first sort of you, you and him and. Also, like, uh, Fry and, like, all kind of converged on my Twitter experience after finding TPN. So it's like you three are kind of like the initial, and then obviously Jack, too. It's like these sort of four figures kind of came at the right time in the right place. I was like, these are cool people I want to hang with sort of thing. Man, Fry and... And I, we were saying this in the pre-show too. It's just us spreading the love for our our friends. <laughs> if if you know, if I had a sirens esque show, it would be an hour of us like literally gushing praise onto so many different people. <laughs> it's like I I love that about about this network of folks though. Is mm-hmm. like this is what people on the outside of it just don't get. Yeah, is like it it really is just like in the early days of tpn it's it's live laugh love you know it it really is just us embracing these things that we love and like walling up these memorials to it as we talk to each other yeah i mean there there it's just you know there's very there's few times in life especially you know with the age of the internet where it's like you know the the concept of making a friend per se on the internet like people kind of lambast but it's like you know if you i feel like especially you know you and i and a lot of people who have grown up on the internet so to you know we we can tell when someone really clicks with us and they get us so to you know like and we can tell when something's like a true friendship even if it's through the you know the internet yeah. Like and you know that that's you were one of the first you know few first people like I I would say you and I probably DM'd each other every single day about something absolutely insane like the lemon video. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> that that fucking video! I swear, like every person in my life has experienced that video, and it's. It brings me such happiness every time. I I just think of Sonic the Hedgehog eating a lemon and then screaming. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the fact that like if you showed that to anybody on the street, they'd be like, "Are you insane?" But it's like if I showed this to Logan, he's gonna find it hysterical. <laughs> it's like that fucking meme of the lady sitting in the uh, 
in, in the office and then the, the like the handsome guy is like sonic lemon video <laughs> you know and you know another thing that makes me think of that too is the crack pipe uh plumber <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that man doing you i don't know it's still a mystery what he was doing in that shower but the fact that you and i <laughs> literally <laughs> still can laugh about this man this man whoever he is like that the fact... fucking guy dude what but... a life okay uh this is going to be a recurring theme of this episode but to get back off of a tangent <laughs> the, to uh the 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 beautiful gray box playstation ain't it oh, special man. ain't that thing special ain't it beautiful it's, it's so beautiful i love the subtle green color of the power button oh yeah 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 the subtle blue of the open tray button and, and I don't know if you feel this, but like the even the memory card, like just the sight of a memory card jutting out of it, like yeah, I, there there's something very comforting to that. I mean, if if I were to be like nitpicky on like aesthetics, like oh, I want a clean exterior box, but I don't know, like a memory card feels nice to look at. Like holding a memory card is like nice to feel. Like and it definitely helped that like Sony. Uh, went in on that aesthetic by having the save data be like little icons too like it's like holding all this like information in a tiny little like it's not like an sd card but like it's that sort of like all this information and all of my progress is saved on this little piece of information and i i lament the loss of the memory card in the uh and the as we with modern games and the hard drive and the SSD, it's stuff you don't see. Like I see, it's like the memory card jutting out of a console is like, that's my progress. Like everything I've ever done with a game is right there in that little slot. Real ones know this, but the rich kids, the rich kids never knew they would have a separate memory card for like every game. What a weird life. dude! I'm, I'm, oh my God, I, man. Like, I remember the app, the the trauma as a kid having to like weigh the decision about deleting memory card save data. Like, I had to like value different games. Like, is it okay if I delete Tony Hawk's Pro Skater like two save data off my memory card? Am I okay having to play through every character? Like, you know, it's that sort of thing. Like, there were certain games like where you could not delete the save data like off the memory card and. I, I, I the young zoomers don't understand that pressure i get i mean i guess nowadays since the playstation 5 has like 600 or 600 gigabytes of usable data as games are like 500 gigabytes themselves yeah i, I guess i guess they feel that but like a save data on a memory card just hits different when you see that little like on the ps2 you see those like animated little icons moving it's like you're killing like people like, when you delete your Crash Bandicoot save file and he's like pleading with you, he's, he's solemnly crying out to you, Whoa! <laughs> oh man, yeah, that and and like I don't know, something about being tethered to the console too is like you mm -hmm. know, your your controller has a cable mm -hmm. and you can only be so far away from the television and 
it was it, such a such a fucking vibe, man. It was so intimate. Like it was. Like I won't deny that there was like sort of like a a fun aspect of like the PS3 or the 360 where it's like, oh, I can sit anywhere in my room now. But it's like it kind of detached me from that experience of like you know, you always hear like sitting close to the TV to see like every little nit, you know, nitty gritty detail of a game. Like uh, again, <laughs> a re- another recurring theme: Zoomers just don't know shit. Oh, a hundred percent. Get that fucking broccoli haircut off of my fucking life. <laughs> uh, but um, I you know I feel like um, you know to I guess. Going from the PS1 to the 6th gen, yeah, that's right, the 6th gen, you know, the PS2, the GameCube, the Xbox, Dreamcast, it's like, do you have any memories of those systems particularly? The Dreamcast is something that I I, I fear it's once in a lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, where it's it's never, it never got to hit its real stride. Yeah, I mean, um, it's such a it. Even though I am a very abashedly true Sony head, like I love even the consoles that they make that are duds, like the PS4 and the PS5. Like I still enjoy them because like there's a sort of attachment to the image. But like, damn, if this little beige little square bo- like box isn't like the most beautiful little system ever. Like, I think it really championed like the ultimate goal in the early wave of video games where it's like it brought the arcade home. Yeah, I mean, and that uh, Sega, you know, because that was their brand at the time is like arcade, you know, bringing the arcade home. And the Dreamcast was like sort of the culmination of that promise, almost so much that like Dreamcast ports actually were better, like Soul Calibur, for example. Like, or crazy taxi or you know that that arcade that arcade heartbeat was now finally truly at home like and that's not to say even more like a you know the fact that you could connect to the internet to for the like properly for the first time to play games i mean you know i hold the dream i have the dreamcast controller right here this is the xbox controller like it it's it's the it's literally the Xbox controller from how it looks and feels and like, yeah. or the, the, you know, the, the VMU, like, like the VMU is, is really like a unique thing. I can remember kids getting into trouble for bringing them to school. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, the VMU was not exactly what we would call a quiet little thing. It would be, no, it beep, <laughs> it would beep, it beeps loud and it makes its presence well known. And, it it really kind of enforces the idea of like taking the game away from the console in a very novel and very cute way. Like Sonic Adventure has like you can raise the chows through the VMU and play little games on it. Like that, the the Dreamcast, as much as like obviously like I truly wholeheartedly love the PS2, and I think you know I go between saying the PS2 or the PS1 is like the greatest console ever, but it's like the Dreamcast comes in and makes a case of like it, it 
if only it had like the sort of grand epic scale games that the PS the PlayStation's had, like it probably would have you know, people would it would probably had like a larger devout audience instead it's kind of like, you know, the what if like the what if Sega still made consoles today like you know it's it's a very somber console in a way to look back on like it was so ahead of its time and you know it was kind of this this last swan song of a company that i think for a big sector of gamers like they truly hold close to their hearts and as someone who's only had a dreamcast for like two years after years of wanting it. Like I can feel that heart that I can feel that love that so many people have for that system. It was, it was all its own, you know, like again, to say like it was the arcade at home, Mm -hmm. it translated over the visual medium so easily what what made other games seem kind of arcane or disconnected from real like real perceptive reality mm-hmm. like even your your parents who you know um to to like be a 90s kid for a second <laughs> the parents don't get it but it's like they could see and understand what was being communicated in a way that i feel like most games to that point could not express mm-hmm. i mean like i like the the dreamcast was the ultimate game machine game machine like we sit in an age where like consoles are made so that they can do more than games like they can play blu-ray movies dvds stream movies go on the internet listen to music like like you know the console became like kind of it kind of became like a hunky bulky phone so to say before phones became like the sort of omnipresent device in your pocket but like the dreamcast and obviously i would i would even uh, the dreamcast even more so than the ps2 because the ps2 had dvd function like the dreamcast was the ultimate game machine it was built to play games like it's so much so that they didn't put a DVD player in it mostly because of cost. But like in hindsight, you like the Dreamcast, you bust out because you want to play games. Like you want to play Sonic Adventure. You want to play Soul Calibur, Crazy Taxi, Shenmue, uh, Choo Choo Rocket, <laughs> Choo Choo Rocket, Fantasy Star Online, uh, Jet Set Radio or Jet Set uh, Grind. Like, you bust out the Dreamcast, like you know, you bust it out because you are a, to to say you're a gamer. So Little did I know that I would be forklift certified almost solely due to the amount I played Shinmu. Oh my fucking god, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> I want I want specifically on your like resume to say like fork forklift certified since 1999 (laughs) and they're like oh wow you learned how to do forklifts really early did your dad was in the business no i played shenmu i fucking clocked in for a six hour shift on shenmu every day (laughs) oh man i mean i i would i shenmu is such you know and you and i have shared this sort of about shenmu is like shenmu is 
for lack of a better way to say it, it is dated it is oh yeah it is not it is not like transcended the sort of time period it is from but in a weird way that it actually becomes even better as a result like i it's so like you you can obviously like we look back on like at Shenmue over 20 years later and we can mock the bad voice acting or the weird controls or the you know having to like wait in game hours to do certain things but like i i i don't think i could ever view Shenmue as like a bad game even now where it's like Shenmue existed at that time and did what it did and are you know in many ways changed the industry you know without Shenmue would we would we have GTA 3 you know like I don't think I could ever say Shenmue's a bad game I think it's an important game and it's a beautiful game you know those those that specific Dreamcast aesthetic Shenmue embodies in its soul like and I I just think of like that main theme from Shenmue, like that beautiful like oriental score that's beating throughout its, you know, its code. It's like I I I truly love that game. Like I I yeah. Oh, and there's something really charming about trying to capture those really nuanced and kind of understated things that it's like a life simulator in a way Mm -hmm. like it's it's harvest moon without the fun you know (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh man every single day that you're in shinbu you're just like oh i'm on the way to do something really kind of bucolic and and not that exciting but i'm excited to see that it's just like real life it's very slow and it sucks and there's no gameplay but I'm having a time. It, it, you know, it, you know what it reminds me of. It, it kind of felt like the precursor to Second Life in a way. Yeah. Like, like you know, it, you know, there's always there's always the talk about like, uh, you know, games are sort of you know, you play the avatar of like what you want to be, and Rio in that game, I, I like, sure, I don't know kung fu like he does, but like. There's the the mundanity of that game becomes like beautiful to digitize into an experience that I control, like even even something so so mundane as going to a gacha machine to get a Sonic the Hedgehog figure in that game, like I I find that endearingly charming and beautiful and like you know Rio's bumbling clueless nature like i can't help but think about time to time it i mean it's it's unique you know um i think it only could have existed on something like the dreamcast yeah and you know shenmue 2 is an xbox game and i don't think shenmue 2 captures that magic so to say but granted i have i i own shenmue 2 and i've never busted it out to play on my xbox but like even looking at it with that Xbox, you know, tag on its size, it just, it doesn't feel right. It, I don't know that in stark contrast to Sony Mm -hmm. is like, 
Sony has always had that more auteur kind of edge to it. Yeah. Um, whereas the Dreamcast was more like, here's the the gameplay loop, and it's it's perfect. We perfected it. Yeah. Whereas when you're tapped in on the PlayStation, you're like presented a story, and you have to sit and make the 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 beats happen. Yeah. I mean. You know, you and I are Metal Gear heads. Metal Gear Solid oh. 2 is exactly... Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 are exactly that. Or, I mean, even games like Ico or Shadow of the Colossus, which are very, <laughs> very auteur games. Like, you know, there's... You know, it's... There's a clear, distinct, like, core... Like, difference in the core of these systems that separate them. But, like... I can appreciate both experiences that I get from both consoles. I can boot up Crazy Taxi on my Dreamcast and have a fucking blast. But then I could boot up on my PlayStation 2. I can boot up, like, I don't know. I could boot up Silent Hill 2, for example, and, like, be mentally tortured because James James just hates women, so just so like me. And, like, the, it's like consoles back then were designed for a game for a gamer like a specific gamer like if i bought a dreamcast i was an arcade perfectionist gamer i wanted to take what i saw at the arcade home and get that rush and adrenaline that only the arcade could give me but if i were on a playstation 2 i could get you know, I could get like the sort of wild experimental games like, you know, Ico and Shadow of Colossus, but I could get like Katamari, I could get SMT or Metal Gear, like or Max Payne, like I I I, I lament the sort of time period where games were designed with an audience in mind and not sort of the every audience in mind. Well, it's like game designed by committee, you mm-hmm. know? And there's there's nothing that muddies the water and makes everything in the game worse than like committee driven game design. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's so. I, you and I were saying in the pre-show, it's like the DS and the Wii really were like the death knell of it all. It's like e- even the 360 and the PS3 had an audience in mind even as games were creeping closer to sort of being the all-in-one devices so to say like the ps3 was designed for you know people wanting an experience and the xbox 360 was made for people who wanted like like the gameplay is king mentality sort of thing you know, like Gears of War coming out or Call of Duty 2, like, or, you know, eventually in 07, like Halo 3, you know, <clears throat> the PS3 and the 360 were still, like, designed with sort of an audience in mind. But then you have the Wii where it's advertising, like, your grandma and your sister could play. And it's like, I, it's like a, it's like we're already, like, beginning the funeral, so to say. Like, this is the, we're, we're already starting like, you know, the, the pallbearers are walking the casket out sort of thing. Yeah. And 
that's one thing that I love so much about like the Half-Life, mm-hmm. Half-Life 2 specifically. Um, I know Half-Life has like its devoted fan base and it is its own unique experience. But when I was first exposed to it, uh, and I think we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show where I was just like, it was an experience that I enjoyed, but when it was done, I could put it down. Yeah. I, I felt no drive to, to get back to it. I didn't feel like there was anything that I had left uncovered. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you will, like, I think that's a great segue into sort of the first part of this episode is about valve, you know, valve, Valve as a, as a game creator is they were, I mean, for back, back in, lack of a better way to say it, they were kind of like their own, like they were kind of the wild card of the industry, but like their experiences in their games truly were experiences, like singular experiences, even something like Team Fortress 2, which is a multiplayer <clears throat> game. Like I could put, I could play like two hours of Team Team Fortress Two and be like, I experienced everything I needed for today, and I didn't have to like, I didn't have like, and I speak as Team Fortress Two in its earlier days. I don't speak as Team Fortress now because it's a little different. Uh, but I could play. I mean, Team... no other, no other company was doing that. Like, meet the characters of the game, like video drops. Oh my you god! Know? Oh my god! That the. the those videos i i remember seeing those on game trailers specifically meet the scout like that was the one yeah like it, like it was valve has such a unique like a valve has such a unique aesthetic to them that like i really don't no other game developer has like captured a, even uh, I don't know, and I think even Valve has this today, uh, even as they've kind of drifted away from primary game development, where they're focusing on the Steam Deck and the Index and Steam as of itself as a distributor, like, Valve has such a strong aesthetic presence where it's like, I know I am playing a Valve game when I boot up, you know, for example, Half-Life 2, or if I boot up Counter-Strike, or uh, Portal or Left 4 Dead, it's like I am playing a Valve game. Like from the aesthetic, the aesthetics of their games to the stories of their games to the audio to the even to the advertising, their Valve is different in such a way that only it's weird because like they only they could do. They have such a confidence in their product. Nobody else, nobody could have a series that is more yearned for or more talked about or more wanted by such like a wide kind of margin of people. Like so many different types of gamers wanted Half-Life 3. And instead of that, Valve said, how about you dropped two grand into your computer, give us a thousand bucks, and then for for sixty dollars, you can play a game set in the Half Life universe. That's not what you wanted, and then it it be incredible. <laughs> you know, I got like, and it, it especially like rang rang true for Half Life Alex, which is the game we're talk like specifically talking about. 
because like Alex was kind of their first proper like big budget game since like what Counter Strike Global Offensive I or no it was Global Offensive or Portal Two. It's like where Valve is creating a a proper I mean for lack of a better way to say a triple A experience of their of their heyday and they're just like uh give us your money so you can buy our VR headset to play this game in a franchise that you all have been begging for a sequel since 2007 and it's a technically a prequel but then we at the very end we completely we throw in a curveball that changes the ending of the last entry of the series so that it makes you go crazy for a next entry in the series. Like only Valve could do it. Only Valve could do that. Just drop a bomb out of nowhere and just says like, yep, we're done. Uh, See you in a few years. And there's something incredible about that. Like having the confidence in your IP and just being like, yep, that's what we wanted to do. And then being able to kind of just walk away from it, despite people begging and begging and begging for more of the same thing, they just go, "No, that doesn't really interest me." In yeah, and that and that speaks to their kind of unique way they make games, like because they have that famous development process called the Cabals, where it's like a group of developers just kind of do whatever they want, and they get total freedom to just make something that they think is cool and. If it if it if it inspires Gabe Newell, it gets put into something like for better or for worse, like that sort of mentality of like getting to literally do what you want and have no fear of like the investor hanging over you. Like if for better or for worse, we get some fantastic, incredible things, you know, because the cabal process I think started with Half-Life 2 but you know you get weird ideas like you get I mean I don't know how you feel about their products like the Steam Deck or the the Index or the Steam Controller or or the Steam the, the Steam consoles I'm a guy I forgot about those like I as, as or like you know there's sort of monetization of Dota or counter-strike global for global offensive it's like the 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 valve way is so different that like i'm as much as i yearn and beg and plead and cry and you know shit my pants it's like (laughs) i I, you know as much as i want a portal 3 or a left 4 dead 3 half-life 3 you know as much as i want them to make those i almost I'm like, I'd rather do what you're doing now because it even still yields cool ideas that you're willing to lay it all out on the line for. Specifically, like their their products, like the like the Steam Deck and all of these focuses that aren't the things people are begging for. Like it, it it's really exciting that they put the same level of care into it and it's not some cheap cop out kind of like that trading card game they developed felt yeah that that would be that was like the one point where it felt like valve was phoning it in with the artifact yeah Yeah. to me that just seemed like 
it was out of left field, but not in a valve like way. And to their credit, they listened. They 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 heard the fans voice their distent, dis, you know, distaste with that product. And then, like after that, it's like the next thing we get from them is Half Life Alex. Like they they're aware of their fans to a degree where it's like our fans keep us in check, sort of thing. It it really drives home that that Gabe Newell like excerpt of him saying, you know, first and foremost, this is a customer service industry. Oh, uh, that, you know, uh, uh, well, I think this is a good time to talk about Gabe, Gabe N, Gabe Newell. You have a fun little story involving him. Yeah. So Gabe actually responded to a ticket that I submitted um, on steam uh, so, like, you can send up a ticket if you encounter errors, um, which I assume most people who are listening to this wonderful, beautiful podcast <laughs> are, are probably a little bit of PC game inclined. But for the console players out there, um, you know, there there is like a genuine network built into um, this kind of like library that houses all of your digital games. And you can mm-hmm. like run into problems, you know, that aren't just resolved by turning it off and turning it back on. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you can submit like help tickets. Um, and so, yeah, Gabe actually replied to one of mine and, and solved my problem. It was pretty, pretty unique. And I guess the best way to explain the ticket process on Steam is is essentially like submitting like a customer service inquiry, like you know you get like a glitch in your game or steam is not acting the way it should and you send a ticket to them saying like here's my problem and you know valve's so unique where it has its literal founder and ceo like personally responding to someone like logan i think that speaks volumes of them not only as a game developer but as a company where it's like you know they're they're clearly driven by their own vision but like at their core it's like we still value our gamers because the gamers put trust in us to deliver from games to services to to physical products like the valve way you know i think of the picture you know i don't know how their offices have changed you know up in seattle or wherever they are in washington you know i think of like that 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 image of the the actual valve they have like where they turn so to say where they want to like you know say like okay time to get to work sort of thing and i i i forever love their connection to the customer it's so rare to it's so rare to even get like a genuine experience from a customer service rep as someone who had to deal with sony customer service with my PlayStation five and I sat on the phone for three hours. Oh my God. Like meanwhile, valve is having their CEO personally respond to someone who's just, you know, some, you know, uh, like just, you know, like the average person having an issue. And he's like, Oh, Hey, this, this valve steam shit wasn't supposed to act like this. We're going to fix it. You know, we got it fixed. Don't worry about it. 
and, and they, not even just fixing it. Like I got an entire free copy of the game that I could gift someone. Yeah, and like that—that—that's what I love. You know, I guess you know we can go on a little bit of a Gabe Newell tangent. Like the man is kind. The man started the company as a former Microsoft uh, employee and like as someone, I think he even said like he had no experience with games at all and he just kind of did it because he wanted to. Like the way that man has become like a legend, even though he's never been like a director of a game, like, you know, you see his face with that big Santa beard and his... he. He genuinely is like one of these sort of like beautiful figures in this in this medium where even though he's not a creator, he genuinely loves the audience that he is sort of employed to. Like there's a reason why like Gabe Newell is an icon, so to say, on the level of a Kojima. Anybody willing to show up in a Mega 64 video is uh, goat status, dude. Not not just once, but he's shown up multiple times in like okay. this sketch the sketch comedy YouTube series that's been going on since what, like the mid early two thousands. And he has oh, shown yeah. he's not shown up just once, but most recently this year in a Neon Genesis Evangelion parody video. Like the man I there rarely does there's only a few instances i think you know where a game game industry figure kind of becomes larger than life and it warrants that like obviously kojima for you and me specifically like we can say to that yeah kojima warrants his status but gabe newell also warrants his status as like you know when he is talking, I sit my white ass down and listen, sort of thing. I mean, you don't see Bob Kotick out there interacting with the people. Yeah. it It's like, you know, it's like, even though I've never met Gabe, it's like I kind of have met him, like, because he's, it's like the, you know, uh, tired old saying, it's like, he's one of us even though like on paper he's not like he's he's not like a gamer so to say but he's on 4chan replying to anons like <laughs> like and he proves that he is doing it he's not like a bit like no he's as you were saying to me like yesterday no he's on 4chan like replying to people and people and I, can vouch for that he was on 4chan i genuinely it, that is one of the instances like that and and September 11th are like <laughs> on the same scale of just something I can't erase from my mind. It, it, like, obviously, like Gabe and Mike Harrington, who was the other co founder, like, but he left kind of before Half Life 2. But like, I, there's very few figures in the game industry that I'm like, I fully put my trust in you, even though like, I would wish you did something different. Like I put, I put my trust in a Kojima. I put my trust in a Kamiya. I put my trust in a Suda 51 and I put my trust in Gabe Newell. Like, because, you know, you see a product, for example, like the steam deck, which is 
on paper it looks like a switch clone but like it's more than a switch clone it's a device that lets you play all of your steam games on the go and it lets you do whatever it wants you to because that's like valve's mo from day one is that they want like their customers to equally be a part of their their journey even from day one like where they're active they give the the engine code of half-life one to modders and said okay you do something with it and we get we get counter-strike out of it man yeah i something about again it's just the confidence and and what they're selling Mm -hmm. they have this like proof of concept that for them it's working and it's gelling with people and they say well why not just let them take it let them do whatever they want I mean, yeah, exactly and like part of the fun at least with you know half-life one and half-life two was like what can what on earth are the modders gonna do with this like you know with half-life, oh. with half-life one we get counter-strike and we get team fortress like arguably now two of valve's biggest tentpole franchises out of that with half-life two we get G mod, which I think is the greatest mod, <laughs> which I think is the greatest mod ever made. Like, and it would I mean, YouTube exist without G mod? Oh my, oh, don't get me started, man. I hold so dearly G mod animations on YouTube in 2008, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Like, the fucking autistic retards who got in who got in the hand <laughs> who who booted up Gmod and did what they did with that game. Holy sh like you know, I'm sure you know exactly like Kitty 706, Dospo shit, uh like these creators who are given a literal playground with ragdoll you know character models maps textures add-ons and they are just said and they just said what if we made a stop motion or like an animated little short cartoon with these like puppets and some of the most genuinely creative and exciting user created things came from gmod like i, I gmod is so burned into my brain at this point where it's like gmod was is not just a game but it's like a uh, it's like an experience and you know we'll get to it but like half-life 2 gave that us well it, it's like you had like machinima and like i guess red versus blue existed kind of before gmod right like that was it was around the same time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. And it felt soulless comparatively in a way. Exactly. No, because like Machinima was sort of like, I mean, like I'm, I don't know if I'm stretching to say this with Machinima, but, but it was like a media company hiring you know, a bunch of sort of upstart content creators and saying like, yeah, I'm sure you remember this video that ONENG, like the Newgrounds video that he made out of um, where it's like, you know, Machinima was like a media company trying to capitalize off things, but like half Valve is like, 
here, we're going to give you Gmod and you can do whatever the fuck you want to with this program. And then we're going to make Source Filmmaker, which is like an evolution of that idea. And like it more or less, to me, it killed the idea of Machinima because like Gmod was, <laughs> for lack of a better way to say it, for the gamers. Well, and you can actually, to this day, get on YouTube and look up these Gmod movies that these people have made, like where mm-hmm. they cast it out. Like, I don't know if they're paying people or just getting their friends, but mm-hmm. they're like telling unique stories using these tools and like making engrossing media that you can sit and watch for hours. Yeah. And I I don't see Valve coming to collect a check on it. No, they, you know, I'll, I'll be a little sappy. It's like, I think of, Kitty0706, that YouTube creator, that that beautiful, insane creative mind he had of like just pushing Gmod to being a like Hanna-Barbera cartoon full of like literal Hanna-Barbera sound effects and like, you know, getting his friends to voice characters that he had created a story for. Or I think of like a ItCon, uh, profound moments in leverage. <laughs> like, like in it's more or less. I mean, it's kind of a let's play, so to say. But it's like he gets his friends to play through Left 4 Dead too, and it's like off the wall, literal lunacy of like his friends grabbing onto the gnome in in the dead car dark carnival level in Left 4 Dead two grabbing the gnome, naming him Ramirez after Modern Warfare 2, and, like, making a whole subplot about, like, carrying Ramirez the gnome to the end of the game and them constantly dying because they fucked themselves over. Like, Valve, as much as, like, Valve is a game company, Valve is, in a way, they're kind of like a gamer, so to say. Like, it, there's a genuine heartbeat to every product they have ever made. Like even, I, even today, like even though their main games are like Dota Two and CS:GO, or I guess as of recently like Half Life Alex, like there's still a very genuine, beautiful heartbeat to their their mo. That like I think for people like you and me who who were at the right time at the right moment with their products it's like i i i'm like blanking it's like people who played valve games understood it they understood why valve was so genuine and special and even today like you know people still fondly look back on those years of just like utter freedom and just the spoil of riches so to say there's something very bold about creating a game that has a specific kind of vibe that keeps it alive Mm -hmm. like it's it's about the gameplay loop it's about the story you're telling but i can pick up a half-life like half-life 2 or the episodes and just be engrossed in the environments Mm-hmm. And like I, I'm, I'm there from the ambient sounds. Like you can't tell me that you can think of like the the Ravenholm level. Oh my god! 
and, and <laughs> not just feel like you're in this nightmare Halloween demented simulation. I mean, oh my god, like <laughs> it's like I I can't help but gush about these games, like the Half-Life series, the Portal series, Team Fortress 2, Left 4 Dead, CSGO, Gmod, like, I mean, as as people are like, well, what after 2013? Like, Jeep Valve hasn't done much, if anything. It's like, you know, it's like, motherfucker, I don't care. It's like, Valve is Valve, and Valve, even today, still is Valve to their core, and like, I, I I would not trade the experience as like a young teenager experiencing when Valve dominated gaming to such a degree and it felt like we were a part of that story being made, you know. Like yeah. I and I think honestly, since you know you mentioned Ravenholm and Half-Life 2, I think that's a perfect segue into the game that we are talking tonight, is which is Half-Life 2. Man. We'll cut there. Um, so, Beautiful. Oh my god. I knew this episode was going to be great, but man, you're killing it. Seriously, thank no, you. No, you're killing it. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I'm but, so excited. Yeah, the, the problem with like thinking of an episode for you, Logan, is that you know everything. And so it's like <laughs> it's like what the fuck game am I going to do? And it's like, well, Half-Life 2 is like, I have, like, again, <laughs> to say, you and I share a brain. So it's like, bro, yes. It's like, how the fuck? I mean, fuck, it's like, these are my fucking, I, and this is just, you know, Half-Life adjacent products. I have a copy of Portal 2 on my shelf for my PS3, which I hold very dearly because <laughs> I remember getting Portal 2 in the PSN hack happening in like the oh. same time frame. And so all I could play was all I wanted to play and all I could really play was Portal 2. Man, what a fucking Portal Portal is just its own beautiful experiment. You, you know what um I honestly I was thinking about like episode braincast brainstorming is um I honestly think like Hayden would be perfect for Portal. Oh dude, I love Hayden so much. Yes. Like, there listen, you and I are both lovers of people and it's like I can't help but he prays and I texted Brian. I was like me and Logan he prays on you and he's like what really? And I'm like yes sir and he's like thank you. How could we not, bro? I mean, I I love that guy. The, uh, as I said in the episode, that man comes up with a new Good Morning post every single day. Finding every some new, day, new a uh, new gay erotica picture. I'm just like, how the f- what is your Google search like settings? That man has like subscribed to an email chain that I I don't want to be a part of, but quite <laughs> frankly, I'm, I'm glad to know it exists. Oh, speaking of, because I remember you said you love Tom of Finland. I actually have yeah. one. Of, I I actually have a Tom of Finland coffee book now. Nice, dude. Wait, um, actually, because I gotta go piss real quick. I'll be right sure. back, but I'll grab the book. Hell yeah! In the in the meantime, because I actually want to show you this. Fucking this, a. 
Yeah, I'll be right back. Rise and shine, Mr. Freeman. Rise and shine. Not that I wish to imply you have been sleeping on the job. No one is more deserving of a rest, and all the effort in the world would have gone to waste until... Well, let's just say your hour has come again. The right man in the wrong place can make all the difference in the world. So wake up, Mr. Freeman. Wake up and smell the ashes. speedrunner because I always piss fast. <laughs> but dude, look at this Tom of Finland book. Oh my god. It's it is so fucking huge. It's I got it off of um this web this website called Tadshen, I think is its name. But it's Tom of Finland book that they do and it's like it's almost 700 pages of his art in like what feels like a 10 pound book and it's genuinely incredible like if you were looking for one like to have like I think you would really appreciate this one hell yeah dude it's yeah Tashen T-A-S-C-H-E-N um, it's it's just a book with pictures of me and all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, to to again, he preys on you. You quite literally look like a Tom of Finland man. So it's like uh, that's you, buddy. No, <laughs> I don't have washboard abs, though. I mean, that's a lot of work. That's that is true. I, as someone who has constantly lived in the world of perma bulking, um, uh, 
washboard abs are a bitch, and I, I respect people like you who can rock them. Uh, man, I've I've been bulking for what feels like nine months now, <laughs> and I am sad every day of my life about it. But you know, food does take food is pretty cool though, right? <laughs> I mean, I love to eat, man. That's my I I think I've told you or I I can't remember who I had this conversation with is. I just want to fucking eat. I just, my natural inclination is like, I just want to be a fat fuck. I don't want to. I, ha- I have to work against that every day of my life. <laughs> it's it's so hard to say like no to food, especially like, especially for, I think, like Midwest boys like you and me, where it's like we want to eat because like we're always wanting to do something. Like whether yeah. that whether that be the gym or work or like some sort of like chore, like food me food means energy, which means I can do the thing that I guess I have to do for that day. I just I'm wanting to log in to to eat, you know. <laughs> I'm just like, bro, I just want to fucking have a snack. I don't want to have to do four and a half hours of of workouts. <laughs> in in your dungeon home gym oh dude yeah so me and my wife um we bought it's the house i grew up in uh-huh. so it's not a new house um however we've sunk a considerable chunk of change into renovating it mm-hmm. and uh the the dungeon 2.0 is fucking splendid oh man i I personally can't wait to see it in person because I remember. Oh yes, I've seen Dungeon 1.0 from your pictures and the videos you would post of like you doing like 400 pound squats, and I'm like, damn! If if Logan trapped me in his dungeon, I'd be probably come out dead because he's gonna kill me. Nah, nah, <laughs> you just be strong, son. It's. Uh, I gotta. I've been drinking this episode, and I need to grab my margaritas. Hell yeah! Hold on, I'll be right back. This is all gonna stay in if you're okay with. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent, dude. I I I live and breathe by uh. The only times I cut things out in GarageBand is uh, when there's dead space. GarageBand is is pretty amazing. It, honestly, like I in college, I only had used Audacity, but then Zoom is like, we're gonna save these in m m dot m four a files, and Audacity is like, what's that file? So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, GarageBand, it is, and but GarageBand is like, it, it, I mean for this show it doesn't need a whole lot i mean i just needed to learn how to fade in fade out and like put audio tracks in i have so much respect for like orton for for turning the editing process into art Mm -hmm. and at the same time i'm driven by that demon of like just do the least amount of work possible yeah. Right. Like if I'm editing audio, I'm just like, eh, we'll just need it and throw a fucking song over it. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to this show, I try to like not, I mean, I own, I don't listen. 
I don't listen back to what I say, which when I say I don't remember what I said, it's because I usually don't remember what I said because I was drinking that episode, which has well, been all which has been all six, which has been all six of them. So, um, well, ritual well, is important, Sam. Well, ritual is very important. So when somebody's like, I love the casting couch bit you did last time. I'm like, uh, yeah, I totally uh, remember <laughs> uh, what I said. Uh <laughs> Like, just but, you laying on your back stars floating around <laughs> in your eyes like no, yeah me too wily coyote ass you know moment be like yeah guys i love that bit uh what did i say what did i say what did i say i i thought it was bold to just let the uh let the n-word just exist uh, oh my god uh i shout out to alex Oh Alex God. is a legend, dude. Um, oh my, that episode, we got so drunk. <laughs> that man, I mean, kudos to the Australians. They know how to drink in like no one's business. And I think uh, I love that. Ep- I mean, granted, I love all the episodes I've done, but that one is so special. Just laying out like the who cares about like violence and sex in games it's like i want to i want to have fun well and that's the thing too is like you can't say that like it's an artistic medium and then also say well it's it's just for kids yeah exactly like literally like if you want to be viewed as an artistic medium you can't you can't uh, cowered away from quote taboo things you know like for me I've always been perplexed by the sort of aversion from like or aversion or sort of like insistence that like male nudity is like not shown in games it's or if it is it's more or less like a side like a little joke like oh hey this guy's butt naked or something like I think of like GTA four, how like there's that the one scene where the guy you see the guy's dick and it's like that's like one of the only times in games that's ever been shown, like sort of thing. Like I I I wished, you know, when games kind of cross into the medium of sex, it's always been kind of a very strange reaction from the public. Like and this is a, a male ass medium. It's out of any medium it's very much for for the guys so to say yeah like you as no matter how much they promote the whammon in video games like you can't deny you you can't you can't say you can't go and say like yeah no it's it's horny ass guys wanting some like tits and ass in their games sort of thing I can remember, and I know you've talked about this, but like BMX Triple X <laughs> is like it's the most tame fucking thing in the world. Uh huh. It's like I, you know, I I want to say Final Fantasy Tactics is more sexual than BMX Triple X. Yeah, I I would agree with you there. Like, there's a lot of games that like, I mean, I mean. On the obvious, like Bayonetta is more sexually like full of vigor than BMX Triple X, but like BMX Triple X is like <laughs> it's viewed kind of like 
too far in a way to some some people, I guess. But it's like because it has nipples, you know, they're not even doing anything. Yeah. They just exist. Meanwhile, like, you know, a game like God of War has like sex mini games and it's like or something. I, I, the point being is people should just like loosen the fuck up and like let games are like kind of like the ultimate medium for letting yourself being enveloped by something because I, I, you're actively doing something inside them you know like I, I've always had this mentality it's like games are kind of like the sort of last frontier in the in, in media where it's like we have film, music, books, TV shows where it's like you were the passive agent of something happening on screen, but games, you're actively in control of the experience. Like, whether it be a linear or open world experience, like, the game doesn't happen until you do something. Right. And to say, like, BMX X is is a bridge too far, <laughs> and it existing in the same sphere as something like Silent Hill 2 <laughs> which people had much more mild concerns about it's like oh my god I, I it's kind of wild to think Silent Hill 2 is still revered considering that like the story would not be like allowed at all in games it's like yeah, a guy killed his wife because he just hated how much he he she nagged him. I mean, I respect, right? Respect. You don't condone James, but you're just like, damn, bro, I feel you there. <laughs> right. Like, you know, I wouldn't have gone that way, but like I see the angle. I I feel you, James Sunderland. And I'm like a... maybe his wife was just a real bitch, you know? You know, I mean it it seems very clear in that game that she is quite the annoying bitch. Imagine, imagine like your wife who like you've been struggling to communicate with as she suffers from this disease. And all she does is write you a letter. Like she's just a bitch still, but she wrote you a nice letter. She wrote a nice letter that doesn't even say like, come to the hotel. She just says, come to the town. Like, <laughs> like it, this, this fucking like you know this like little this this little harpy is like, you know what I'm gonna send to my husband? You know I'm not gonna give him a clear like, go to X. I'm gonna be like go to this, this vague location, and I'm going to make you suffer, sort of thing. It's like oh my god, Mary, I love you, but also I hate you. Very much. I feel like you deserved it, but also, I don't know. Silent Hill kart racing game win. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a Jack and Daxter. You know how like not, not, <laughs> not, not, you know how like Naughty Dog games pre Uncharted. It's like you had Crash Team Racing and then Jack X. It's like I want like I wish Silent Hill Four was the racing game. Man, yeah, <laughs> Silent Kart. Like, I want I want to drive this pyramid head running around, <laughs> like driving past the apartments in SH two. It's like that would be that would be so fun. He's the fucking Bowser of the series. Oh my, <laughs> my god! 
<laughs> oh my god. Um, so tonight's discussion is arguably it's a game that has been lauded as the greatest of all time. And I would say, you know, in many cases, it does warrant that title. It is Half-Life 2. Uh, Half-Life 2 first came out November 16th, 2004. It originally was a PC game, first and foremost. Then eventually it got a port on the Xbox. It was included with the orange box, which included it the main Half-Life 2 experience plus its two episode expansion uh, sort of sequel-esque games along with Portal and Team Fortress 2. It's 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 one of the most ubiquitous games that you can think of when it comes to gaming as a whole. I'm sure that if you were to talk to any person who is probably above the age of 25, you know, they would tell you how much Half-Life 2 is the greatest game of all time. And I personally, you know, for me, my first experience was with the orange box. I remember I had a very good friend. His name was Danny in middle school. And he, uh, he would always espouse how great valve games are. He said, you know, I, you know, team fortress Two, left for dead portal, half-life, you name it of that, of that time, 2007, 2008, like he would just say how great Valve games were, and that convinced me. And then eventually, my parents saying, "Can you buy me the M-rated game, please? It, I can skip the bet, the the part, the questionable parts, please." Sort of thing. Like, uh, I remember getting Orange Box, which was one of I'm pretty sure is my first FPS experience. May it was either it or Modern Warfare Two. I can't remember. I'm sure I had other ones prior to, but like. I remember playing Half-Life 2 and just being utterly, uh, you know, I remember just being utterly blown away by it at the time. It was on a whole nother level in terms of what I thought games could do, were capable of, and it more or less has lived in my brain rent-free for the better part of like 15 years. And my, I guess, you know, where to start off with is I know that you have an interesting sort of story with this game where that your first experience, Logan, was with the Xbox port when you were a Marine. So I want to hear your Half-Life 2 story. Man, I, I can't express how much I heard about Half-Life 2 before I even had any kind of inclination for what it would be like it it's one thing to say like halo had its like legendary status of like every gamer knew what it was yeah you know it's something like your your teacher at school talked about because like they know that that's what every kid is doing as soon as they go home is like playing halo Mm -hmm. half-life 2 was like a more matured version of that where it's like all of these people in my life who are, who are like serious about things who are like, you know, capable and out in the world actually accomplishing things and like establishing themselves in a career or like a trajectory forward in life. were talking about half-life like it was 
the the new thing like it was you know sliced bread of its time mm-hmm. where people people are telling me like man you know this is going to change everything like yeah, they have they have physics real world physics in the game <laughs> the i i and i felt this too even as i had first experienced like 3 4 5 years post its launch like half life 2 sort of like it became like the measuring standard of what games should be like it, it's we we look at games nowadays as they sort of are and you can't help but it's like half-life 2 did that first like half-life 2 did this it uh accomplished this first it 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 really is like it is that bitch of a game experience like valve really just went out there and did this and it was like bing bang boom like everything was sort of like changed after this game and you know and it especially is very impressive considering that this game was like in development for like six years and constantly went through changes and there was the the that famous hack that happened that leaked the entire source code on the internet and like the fact that this game you know as games you know have been in develop quote development hell usually they don't tently become like, you know, the game that they were promised to, you know, like in the pre-show we're saying cyberpunk 2077. It's like half-life two though, actually delivered everything that it set out to do in terms of what it promised. It delivered a level of realism that had never, I think been seen before in games. It delivered, gameplay that while not like groundbreaking it like it was the most seamless gaming experience i think i've ever felt like playing half-life 2 even recently as i had been playing it in preparation for this episode again this game is so seamless and flawless in its execution that it's like how how did games play before this like it it set the bar so high that like I, I I'm constantly just amazed thinking about this. This this is such flawless execution of an idea that I can't imagine what it was like developing this game. And there's something that is kind of like a magic mm-hmm. in the design, where it's not exactly an open world game. It's pretty linear really yeah i mean you're you're literally on rails for for segments of the game yeah like the the hovercraft and the and the the bucky like you're literally or like you know the the at the end of the game where you're uh in in the citadel being basically taken from one point of the map to another point and you can't do anything like you know what you're saying it just it feels so much bigger than like the grandest open world epic game that's out Mm -hmm. even even on like my you know 27th playthrough uh i i would feel like you know making these decisions for the first time yeah and and it's 
I've never experienced that with another game. It it's every game post playing HL two. It's like it's like playing it. You can see like the designer thinking about how to sort of pace and experience out. But it's like Half Life. I I it's so flawless and like you never notice like sort of like here's the x beat of the game here's like the like the set piece moment here's the exploring moment here's the atmospheric moment it feels so natural like no game has ever felt this clean to play and so carefully thought out that i can never really like look at a game nowadays and think like well half-life 2 already did it better than you like you know the game it's the game is i mean at its core it's an fps and it you know it you have those sort of moments in the game where it's like you have the shootouts against the combine forces and like that sort of is your action like adrenaline shot but then like you have these moments of just like calmness and reflection and arguably I would say Half-Life 2 is one of the loneliest games I've ever played where it, it really sells home its world and its setup and its universe that like, it, it doesn't like hammer home or beat you over the head in terms of like saying, well, hey, the Combine do this X, Y, and Z, and this is why they're bad guys. Like you, As soon as you boot up the game and you're on that train and you see that giant build video screen of Dr. Breen talking to you in a very just off-putting manner, it, it, feels, it feels so timeless. Even in now, it's like... <laughs> it's like... I, I this this episode this segment is going to be like gushing segment where it's like every little beat and moment of this game is like my favorite thing ever. I love to look at the like Half Life Two wiki and see that these people who have literally torn the game apart and stitched it back together still don't have all of the answers. Mm-hmm. And and not only do they not have all the answers, they're they're completely fine with that. You know, yeah. like like the combine, you don't really know what they are. Yeah. Um, you know vaguely what their motivations are and how they've done it so far. But mm-hmm. like th- it doesn't need to be anything else because we have the information that we need to operate in this world. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's it's such like a showcase of storytelling that is that is like near perfect, mm-hmm. where it's like it, it leaves you wanting more, but you have everything you need. It's like, I, you know, the it, it's so I guess you know, thinking about Half Life Two, like. I, immediately from beat one you have the g-man speech like that 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 opening with him talking to you and it's like literally the the greatest opening monologue i can think of in a game it's like you know the right man in the wrong place can make all the difference in the world so wake up mr freeman (laughs) smell the ashes like 
if I don't know how a game could sell me harder than that singular speech that's like less than two minutes like it doesn't have any grand epic set pieces or epic explosions or what have you it's you this ominous figure who presides you not only just in this game but it even in the half-life one this ominous figure who's seemingly always in control of the situation and he's like well here now it is time to reap the actions of your of reap the actions of what you did in the first game and it just boots you out of a train into like a subway station where all you can do is walk like you don't get a weapon at the start you're just kind of pick up at... that can <laughs> <laughs> oh man the... <laughs> I, I have to i've never actually tried this but have you ever resisted the combine telling you to pick up that can i you know I'm a I'm a good boy. I do what I'm told. <laughs> I I just I I picked up the can every time. <laughs> I always see like videos of people playing it. It's like they don't pick up the can and then they bunny hop backwards through the, the, the exit. It's like it's so fucking stupid. But it's like I I I think of just like that opening. There's so much of this game that has just been burned into like a specific part of my brain where it's like I can think of every beat in this game going into the into that little holding area where the combine are almost going to put you to Nova Prospect, which is like sort of the bad, evil location of the game outside of the Citadel. And like Barney, beautiful Barney saves you. He's like, and then he tells you exactly what you need and then caps it off saying, and about, you know, and about that beer I owe you. Man, what a fucking bro. <laughs> but. I the the whole cast of this game is just beautiful like you know Half-Life is a unique series where your player character Gordon Freeman is a mute he doesn't say a single word he's more or less just sort of like a representation of you in the moment he does you know they the character so ha- give him a character but he's more or less you but like he's I, the right man in the wrong place see? It, it's but like the 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 whole cast is so I I love this cast. It's you know you have Alex, Doctor Kleiner, Barney, Eli, Doctor Breen, Mossman. Uh, you know, there's so many. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the cast is small. But like these cat these characters, like I I have such a fond deep connection to even though like they're just you know skeleton frames with a texture placed on them with you know voices you know these actors portraying them but like i i can't help but feel like a special connection to these people in this game world like you know obviously like alex is such an integral part of this whole series the half-life 2 series where it's like you genuinely f- feel for her concerns, her anger, her excitement. Like, if any, she's one of those beautiful babes that, like, I I always come back to and think she's, wow, she's, like, everything. And there's something about that, like, intimate cast 
where it's like even the the NPCs that you meet that are like resistance fighters, they all have like a distinctive trait or way of speaking or like are in a set piece that makes it feel like, you know, I can identify this as like real feelings. Mm-hmm. I can I can see like when I'm in city 17 in like an abandoned apartment complex and there's only furniture in one unit mm-hmm. and like outside there's like a, um, like a kid's playground and everything is rusted oh, and yeah. there are like toys abandoned out there. I don't even need a character to tell me like people used to live here and now they don't. It, it, Half-Life two is like one of the, is I mean, to me, it is the champion of telling a story through just like, experiencing it like that that opening segment in city 17 is masterful like it for a lot of it you're not even like engaging in combat so to say like you're experiencing this sort of dystopian health very like it reminds me of very covidian like sort of life where it's like it's such like a it, it really it's one of the games where it's like, I feel the bleakness in humanity. Like humanity is at such a dead end where against this alien invasion where they're suppressing literally reproduction uh, amongst the population where it's just like a slow, gradual death that like, you know, we, you know, and today we have all the benefits of the terra fucks and giga shits and consoles, but like 2004 graphics is all I need to convey the bleak nature of this world. Like, I man, like the the trek you make on Highway 17 is like one of the most depressing and ominous segments in any game, where it's like you're trying to get back to trying to get to Nova Prospect, but it's like you see these abandoned worn out little teeny tiny towns and no one's living there it's all like you know a lot of them are just like covered in blood and no no sign of life even exists in these towns and all that's there is just combine forces waiting for you it it, uh, obviously like half-life 2 elicits sort of like the great action moments when it does but it really kind of lets you stew in sort of just the depressing malaise of this universe in a way that no real game has accomplished i think you know yeah what do you think on that well and to that point it's like as much as the game is like a science fiction fantasy story, mm-hmm. the the kind of human element to it is very, very true. Mm-hmm. Um, because you think about what would happen in a scenario where, let's say, like, even if it was 50% of the people that you know um, were just, like, unable to reproduce... They were unable to create any sort of further history from the moment that you know them now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and what if your life advanced by 30 years? You know, yeah. you have like a handful of people left. You haven't interacted with them because it's just impossible for a myriad of reasons. 
and all of these people are are slowly disappearing like whether they're being kidnapped or whether they're driven from their homes in pursuit of peace elsewhere it's like you if you choose to stay become kind of like part of the scenery you know yeah and uh i don't know i don't know if you felt this when you had like played it but like you know you know this was in the pre-age of like you know technology and games sort of being advanced but and so like half-life kind of reuses like the faces of its models of like the npcs but it's like i I feel like it enhances this just sort of like utter despair of the world where it's like there's only so few amount of people in this world this area of the war of of earth where it's like they all kind of just blend together so to say like yeah i mean obviously we have like you know the hindsight of like you know gmod has sort of like made these faces kind of iconic so to say but like uh, like the 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 state of living in the world of half-life 2 is utter despair and 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 you are just sort of there to absorb it all and the game for a big big chunk of it just does not explain anything and you are supposed to take it all in and you know as i said like the the whole highway 17 segment even as you finish the nanova prospect chapter like i you know games can sort of flaunt like their graphical prowess and sort of like the quote bad state of things but like half-life 2 with its like primitive fog technology or it's like jagged blocky environments tells a story deeper and more painful than any like PS5 game could ever get to me. You see stuff like until dawn and all of these like photo real, essentially movies that have interactive elements mm-hmm. and you, you can get engrossed in, in like what, what they're presenting to you but it doesn't touch you on the same level that like half-life two can. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that is just the vibe that they've cultivated. Yeah. And there is, it, it, I don't know if it's like a sourced thing. I don't know if it's like a, just how it was made, but the ambience conveys so much of the story. And yeah. like, even you could be artistic about saying like, Oh, well, you know, the recycled assets are, are like, um, you know, conveying the fact that there's only really one story that we're telling and it just happens in all of these different places, you know, uh-huh. e- even if it is really just because of limitations for, for data, essentially. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I would buy that because it does, it really doesn't have to be any more complex or complicated than like, this is man's struggle essentially as the world is is not you know blowing up and and like turning itself inside out but really just kind of being pushed and and fading away like dust in the wind yeah it it embodies the sort of like you know the last moments of humanity is not with a bang but with a whimper sort of say like right you know the half-life 
as a series, you know, I, I, I would say I'm more speaking about the first game, which definitely has its moments of sort of solitude and uh, like sort of introspection on the state of things. But it, it very much kind of plays like sort of like like an, an, an action game. And it's not to diminish Half-Life 1 because I think that's a, another fantastic, brilliant game. Like I think Half-Life 1 and 2 are very different experiences and you know you I don't know if you've seen the Half-Life beta screen like uh build where it's like the world is even more depressing and bleak and just utter nightmare world like it's it's such a like it's such a I'm like trying to think of the words, but it's like Half-Life's ability to tell its story, not through words, but through sound and graphics and uh, environment is something that games have almost just like, it's almost like they can, like they never, they couldn't do. And they kind of ignored, like uh, if I, if I will, I want to talk about, the the man Kelly Bailey and his music in this game. Oh or, man, yeah. Or, or I guess you could say almost the lack of music. Like Kelly Bailey was the composer of this game, and he's attached to basically I think every Valve game prior to Portal Two, if I remember correctly. But he was also the audio director. So he, not only was he in charge of the score, but he was also in charge of like the the. Oh no, he left. Oh no. Well, we're going to we're going to fix this out third place audience. Don't worry. Uh, send him a new Zoom link. Man, I just want to say Logan is incredible. Like Hopefully I'm okay. I'm still recording, um, but that man is incredible. Okay, he's back. Let's admit joining. Let's get that audio connected. Of course, Zoom had to give me a headache, but hey, technology is a bitch. Hey, he's back. Sorry about that, buddy. No, no, please, no. Uh, I just basically said you're incredible while you left. <laughs> oh, that's all you, Sam. Yeah, Come on. Uh, uh, to, to go off it, like Kelly Bailey was the audio director, and I think the power of his score is that when he he refrains from using it, like he, obviously his inspirations come from like that industrial Trent Reznor Nine Inch Nails sound. But like his sort of genius, I think, is almost restraining from having music playing. You know, like games nowadays have like this every action thing has to have a epic score with big violins, orchestra, rock guitars and all that sort of stuff. But like Kelly Bailey chooses to refrain from that. And I mean, a lot of this game is silence other than gunshots and combine radio flatlining sound effects. I mean, 
it, it's it reinforces this idea of loneliness where it's like all you hear is your footsteps for most of this game like what really blew my mind and like really stuck with me was i'm a big like soundtrack head i i, I love to collect and listen to soundtracks mm-hmm. it's like how short every single song that like stuck in my head really is oh yeah like uh cp violation which is arguably i would say outside of like the valve theme that plays when you boot up the game like cp violation i think is like the iconic sound like song from the soundtrack it's under two minutes it's like a minute and 40 seconds yeah and yet when i think about half-life like i can hear that song in my head the, oh my god i there's so many fantastic songs in the soundtrack like obviously cp violation apprehension and evasion uh lab practicum lambda core hazardous environment sector sweep vortal combat like uh you shouldn't be here like maybe this speaks to like me and you as just being like valve heads but like valve uh, half-life 2's soundtrack while being so understated leaves such a ginormous impact because it it only kicks in when kelly bailey says it needs to kick in and i think it just really underlines the impressive ability of a company like valve to like tell a story through show not tell Mm -hmm. in so many instances yeah like i think about the first half-life and there's like a a definitive alienness to the kind of like alien world that is kind of revealed to you yeah this is like utterly fantastic and and like beyond the scope of my imagination here on earth you know for just like a, a humble mit scientist to like uncover this alien kind of world that mm-hmm. exists beyond ours and like how it intersects with reality to something like the the kind of vaguely human drive of the combine where it's like they just want to replace us yeah and the combine are such a unique enemy in the game too because a lot of them are humans that wanted to like to not be subjects and cattle of the combine themselves they wanted to sort of like give themselves a sort of opportunity to have like like a sense of power maybe not power but like like a a wanting to like escape the hell that is living them i mean i don't know if if you want to talk about it but you want to talk about ravenholm let's talk about it uh so i I would say like what like a third of the way of the game in so you've like escaped the combine from cd17 and you know you're with alex and eli and mossman and uh kleiner just sort of like uh like sort of get your sort of uh plan together to sort of attack them but 
suddenly you're attacked and you're sent to Ravenholm, which they set up saying, we don't go to Ravenholm, which is this abandoned like mill town that's, you know, Half-Life 2 also like is a unique thing where it has like, it's not like dynamic time, you know, day and night, but like as you progress through the game, it's like, oh, you start in like bright sunny morning and then suddenly in Ravenholm you're in the pitch black darkness and it's this ghost town full of zombies and head crabs and it is one of the most amazing levels in the game because it shifts from science fiction action to basically survival horror like i i think about ravenholm not just as like a level but as like an experience like ravenholm in itself could have been a game with father gregory uh the one human that you encounter through this entire level and all you really all you really can do to sort of fight these waves is that the iconic gravity gun which is arguably like the most iconic weapon in FPSs ever. <laughs> and, and it feeds back into like the source engine and the real world physics. And it's like, ah, oh man, I could just gush about Ravenholm. There's like something very unique in being able to, within a story, have essentially like a set piece level based on scaring the shit out of you and kind of like we're going to take this survival uh, of man against a greater evil and then we're going to make it a zombie game halfway through yeah, it... there's, there's something about that that like it blows my mind just the balls that you have to, to make something like that and, and... It doubly so because they never really go back to that. It is a one-off experience. Like it, it'd be one thing if, like, let's say, like they went back to this idea, like towards the end of the game, but they really don't. It is a one-off experience, but it kind of reinforces this sort of, uh, artistic idea for the human humanity is basically on like the thinnest string from absolute collapse and it's like I feel like if it were any other developer they would have taken this idea of Ravenholm and they would have just sort of like they, they would have like they would have like really hyped it up they would have said like they would have really spent the last three, four, five, six, you know, whatever hours, and they would have built Ravenholm up. But, like, Valve really only, like, leads Ravenholm up with, like, one line from Alex. And she says, this tunnel goes to Ravenholm. We don't go to Ravenholm. And it's all you need to, like, understand the sort of weight that this one level has. And it kind of just sticks with you through the entire game. Like, uh... You know, you th it reminds me of just like, you know, sort of the lost, like, you know, cities today where it's like you see the lost glamour and beauty that they have lost to sort of just, uh, I guess, just libtardiness of sort of sort, like a certain it, element of humanity. Mm hmm. Like, it, I, 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 
in many cases in this game, there are just levels that just stick out to you because like there is an absence of humanity. You know, Nova Prospect is another one of those levels where it's like the prison level, but it's so just, I mean, it's truly absent of humanity other than you and Alex, where it's just combine forces and ant lions. And you just see these test testing prison cells covered in blood, you know, rusty, dilapidated, and uh, like there are the moments in the game, like you know, getting into Nova Prospect involves like shooting down, you know, the gunner ships that are kind of a pain in the ass to deal with, and you, you command your your army of ant lions but then after that you're just sort of left to absorb the sort of hell that is nova prospect which is just a is like the the it's like a one-way stop to hell sort of say for the people in this world it's so weird to in like the trajectory of gordon's adventure through half-life 2 where mm-hmm. you really come back to being exactly what G-Man sets up. You are the the right person, but these are not the right places. They're they're almost all a place that you end up at as like a series of mistakes of like things not going the way that they should. Yeah, it's I mean of, it's kind of wait. cool that that valve would would tell a story like that yeah it's like the the, the way i see g-man i don't know like g-man kind of feels like a surrogate of valve themselves like he's like the he's the omnipresent sort of figure that is in control of everything which feels very much like the surrogate of Valve themselves saying like, you know, you Gordon Freeman, you the player, you know, you are the perfect hero. You're the every man. You can wield every, every weapon in the game, combine and human. You can do every situation we throw at you, whether it be like a shooting segment or a driving segment or a puzzle segment or a explore exploration segment, you are capable of everything, but this is not where you should be. So to say it's, it's like in a way it's like deconstructing itself as a half-life sequel. I don't, unless I don't know if you agree with that, but like, you know, I don't think people understand nowadays just how, ginormous of a task it was to create half-life 2 itself like you're creating a sequel to one of the most iconic 90s shooters ever that revolutionized so much in the industry it's like how do you go from there and it feels like at some points it feels like valve is like commenting on the fact that it's like impossible to talk make a half-life 2 in weird way i think that kind of has to be true mm-hmm. um you think about like the the hovercraft and how like g-man is always seemingly one step ahead of you yeah. even though you're ending up in places that like it was an accident you got there like you see yeah. him and it's on this on this pier like just 
happening to walk by mm-hmm. and all these little breadcrumbs that he's left for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think you can do a game like that. And like Half-Life 3, they, as much as they painted themselves into a corner with like the resolutions that they would have to include in a game like that. Yeah. I, I, I really don't know how they would do it. Yeah, I, I mean, that's sort of just like the overlooming sort of like shadow that oversees Half-Life as a series is Episode 3, Half-Life 3, is sort of the... How do you sort of conclude the Half-Life 2 story arc, you know? And this is not sort of speaking of the ending of episode two where Eli gets killed. It's like, even though Valve themselves had ideas for an episode three, it's like, it's almost like they couldn't like, uh, find a way to sort of provide, I'm like, talking about episode three because it never happened, but it's clear, it's, it's clear as day that it, was happening like they were making it and everything i mean there's the famous epistle three blog post that one of the the writer um made that's basically um half-life episode three it's like how on earth can this even happen like i it's like valve valve met their own roadblock where it's like you know years upon years of like wondering where it is it's like well they don't know how to go through it so in as a result the newest half-life product that they made is a prequel it doesn't progress the story it's like the the half-life 2 universe is so ginormous and all-encompassing it's like they really didn't know how to do it until they basically rewrote the ending of episode 2 and maybe for the better i mean i I can't say because like it hasn't technically progressed Mm -hmm. but maybe there's something in that that will open them up creatively to give us an episode three and then give us a half-life three um that can can conclude those stories but also not stop them there. Yeah. Where you have like in epistle in, in epistle three, where it talks about kind of like tying cave Johnson from portal into the half-life universe with this time traveling. It was a boat, right? Like a time yeah. traveling boat. Yeah. The, the Borealis. Um, where it's like, it's an icebreaker that has somehow traveled through time. And, and it landed not only in a different time, but like an alternate future that only could have been through meeting these weird parameters. And it's like, is that the story that, that Valve really wanted to tell? Or is that all that they were left with, with kind of like the direction they, they had? Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a case of a game almost like, inadvertently writing the ending of a story 
I, I, it's like it's writing its own ending, but unintentionally. Like they didn't. It, episode two's ending is so powerful and is so memorable. Uh, fifteen years on, and it's like I I could not imagine being the writer and being like. well what the fuck do i do now like 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 you know and you read the epistle three sort of storyline of half for context epistle three was a blog post written by the writer of basically the half-life two series where he didn't use the names of the characters like Gordon Freeman, but he like basically re he swapped out names to basically be like, essentially like it was basically episode three, but not technically episode three. And like, I, I can't imagine being like someone saying, how do we do what we do where we're like, sort of commentating on the status of being a sequel to the biggest game of the 90s or one of the biggest game of the 90s it's like how do we even go forward with ourselves as creators i mean you you see like the ending of half-life alex where they essentially redo the story so to say even though like in some ways you could say like, Oh, this is actually part of the plan. But like, instead of Eli dying in episode two, it's actually Alex is taken away by the G man. And suddenly now, like there's a reason to keep the story going or they, they found potentially a way to continue the story. It's like, ah, uh, man, it's like trying to think about like, Uh, it's just halfway too. Is like you can endlessly theorize about it. Well, that's what's perfect about Valve's storytelling in general is like as concrete as the narrative can be. And this mm -hmm. touches on what we were saying earlier. It even though I have the story in front of me, there's enough that goes unexplained. that like not only opens itself to speculation but mm -hmm. also like on the table is the very fact that like time is not linear these events have happened but necessarily they don't have to continue happening in that way yeah things can change or be malleable or you know maybe it's a uh, dimensional in in, in ways unrelated even to the story like maybe g-man can pluck us out of that dimension of reality and take us to an entirely new one where those events maybe they didn't happen or maybe they didn't happen in that way mm -hmm. it, it, it thinking about half-life 2 it's almost kind of it's like an allegory for like creating a game in of itself where it's like by nature of its sci-fi element they can kind of like do what they please you know there's a leeway in of itself where it's like there's episode two has this sort of conclusive ending of eli dying and alex is left to just mourn and cry over his dead body but it's suddenly like we're now 13 years later 
even even those events aren't set in stone and you know g-man being sort of this veil this sort of vehicle for valve as a creator kind of i'm in many ways i'm thinking of this right now uh like g-man as a sort of figure and entity that sort of looms over the series g-man and his relationship to gordon and i i guess you could say now alex since she's sort of because Alex was the main character of, of Half-Life Alex, like G-Man is sort of like saying to G-Man as Valve is saying to Gordon slash Alex, the player, like the, you know, we, the, the point of Half-Life in a way, it's like Half-Life is a game. I'm, I'm trying to make a lot of deep, sort of things about half-life but i've had some drinks so it's like (laughs) it's like trying to philosophize like so many intricate facets of like living but like i feel like mom we're playing disco elysium but for real (laughs) (laughs) so like you, you you know what i mean it's like you can't help but like theorize about like what does half-life 2 mean i mean there's the sort of surface level alien invade earth equals bad you are you are cool scientist with goatee in a hev suit you kill them good like there's sort of that sort of surface level good versus bad uh story at play but like there's clearly like a multi quite literally like billion see i mean probably not but like billions of different possibilities what half-life 2 represents outside of just combine bad gordon freeman good you kill bad guy win sort of thing and you know as much as i love being the guy with the crowbar bashing in alien skulls i also love that i i can feel powerless in the face of these things Mm -hmm. or feel like my my actions have been neutered by turns of consequence that are not my doing like most games would give you all of those set pieces and give you all of those beats and then at the end of it you'd have a resolution of some kind Mm -hmm. whereas half-life 2 like is happy to cuck you every step of the way away from that gratification yeah i mean like there's so many parts like I think of like the assault on the Citadel in the sort of back half of the game where you're like in charge of squad members. And like, I feel like in any other game, they would have like given each of these, they would give like four squad members and they have their own unique little story. But it's like in Half Life 2, these squad members can die and it keeps going. Like, you pick up another one. These are like, Half-Life is more than capable and willing to Half-Life 2 is more than willing and capable to just sort of like view anyone that view anything in the grand scheme of things as like there. there's no sort of like um, intrinsic like it's very almost like anti-story in a way where it's like it does it 
it has sort of the beats of a story per se. Like you get thrown into an alien situation, you fight forces, you have a low point, you come back, win, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. But like with Half-Life 2, they're willing to sort of like throw wrenches or crowbars, I guess in this case. It's like they're willing to sort of <laughs> subvert your expectations, I guess you could say. And I, I love Valve for that. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's one thing you play a game that like thinks it's smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Like it has to pull the rug out from under you every step of the way. And I I think maybe that's what people didn't like about The Last of Us Two is they, they felt like it was kind of rubbing our, our noses into the fact that like this isn't what you want. This is what I want. Yeah. Which to me is, is fine as an artistic statement. I'm I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, a a, a gamer is gonna game so and true. It, it it it's it's one of those sentiments that doesn't sit well with people who have always been in control mm-hmm. and always want to maintain that level of control. And I think that's one of the more adult things that you can convey in a game. And I I really think Valve is the only only company that has so far been capable of delivering it on that level yeah i mean gaming is such a unique medium where it's there there's been the argument of the entitled gamer i guess you could say where it's like the gamer wants x y and z to happen to them in this story they want they want specific beats to happen to them because it fits as in like this is what the sequel should do but valve was willing to sort of buck that trend and saying you know you wanted a sort of big epic climax through city 17 nope you're gonna get sent through the fucking sewers on a hovercraft for like an hour and you're gonna that you most of this time is gonna be like through physics puzzles. Like only and only at the end will you get like sort of that battle, but even then afterwards you get you get your you don't go back into the city, so to say. You get you get more like downtime with these characters, Alex or Mossman or Kleiner. It, it's such a human it's very realistic i guess you could say in the way it approaches itself like it 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 doesn't i guess you could say it doesn't feel like a game you know it doesn't want to hit uh this sort of um i'm trying to think of the words it's like it's not trying to hit the sort of beats of an fps especially in 2004 it's not trying to do what what is expected. It is doing what it thinks other games should be doing. And you see this nowadays. It's like where games are kind of just aping off the certain idea. You have like the action set piece. You have the quiet moments of solitude. You have the sort of dark, scary moment that sort of faces you with the evils of your enemy and then you get the triumphant clash with the enemy 
and Val Half-Life 2 is that sort of catalyst moment of games with its storytelling and gameplay. I mean, let's let's postulate for a second if if Valve had not have had the gumption to innovate and Half-Life 2 was Half-Life 1 but more of it. Yeah. You would have gotten a gravity gun which is like a brilliant tool to showcase all of the physics that your engine's capable of and you would use it for combat and that was it. They certainly yeah. wouldn't have taken the time um to like make a a gun in a shooter game just so you could pick up cinder blocks to drop onto like a platform to lower a ladder. Yeah. Like it's if any if Val if Half Life Two was made by any other studio that wasn't named Valve Corporation, like it more or less would have been like a game that is here to show like, hey, here's our gold source two or whatever. It's not it doesn't it would have been like an evol it would have been like a an evolution versus a revolution sort of thing, you know? Like like it really took some fucking autists in Seattle, Washington to, <laughs> to, to to think of like how can we elevate the game? And we see the sort of effects of Half-Life 2 ring so powerful even today where it's like Half-Life 2's formula is still being used to this day and there's still elements of Half-Life 2 that have never been replicated I mean obviously like the source engine and the physics are one thing which I think elevate this game to being so real that it's like scarily real even though it doesn't have the benefit of like seeing your like character's sweat glands or whatever. Half-Life 2 feels realer than real at some points. Uh yeah. I mean <laughs> trying to like think pretty deeply about Vidya. Well, graphics too are one of those things where like it it hits a point of diminished returns. I <sighs> I appreciate a game that's able to show me something that looks like real life, like yeah. those that happen when I go outside. Um, at the same time, I I don't benefit anything from a game that looks photoreal but isn't fun. Yeah, it, Half Life Two is photorealistic and it's fun to play. I can't deny that, like picking up a blade saw with the gravity gun and chucking it at a zombo, uh, a headcrab zombie, is like the funnest shit ever in a game. But then, like incorporating that physics into the world of itself, where it's like, like every object in the game has weight. You know, not just in the physics sense, but like the sort of storytelling sense like they they one of my favorite levels in the game is when you're traversing that sort of area where the ant lions are crazy and you have to use the gravity gun to make platforms across these 
big sand areas unless you want to get fighting against antlions. Like the even even the simplistic even the gameplay gets incorporated into this this sort of adventure, this melancholy adventure. Yeah, man. And like that's another set piece moment. Like all of these things that other games would stake their entire being on. Yeah. Valve tacked like eight or nine pastiches of like, yeah, this is something we can do too into this same game. Yeah, I like I think of like, you know, the hovercraft obviously in the 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 buggy like you know and has the turrets on it like every other game post half-life 2 has that sort of segment but not as like in your hands as half-life 2 accomplishes you know it's like it, it, it i feel like in a lot of games there's always that like one fantastic game that sort of just goes so far and above and beyond that like no one else can do like obviously i think of like metal gear in that sense where it's like no one could really ever uh, eclipse metal gear's sort of level of physicality and uh like believability in a world uh like there are games that just come out and define sort of like the next 10 years of gaming. There's always sort of that like game that sort of changes the bar. Like I go to go off uncharted. Or I don't know if I've said uncharted, I might be blanking drunk, sorry, but whatever, but like uncharted, like defined like the third person cover shooter, but no one else could get to that level of third person cover shooter. Like uncharted did. Or like, uh, everyone tries to replicate like the Tony Hawk experience, but no one can get Tony Hawk and its specific mood and aesthetic down like Tony Hawk Pro Skater or Underground could ever get to, or even like Spyro the Dragon. Like, there's innovators who make the industry better, and like. <laughs> It's like Half-Life 2 innovated so fucking hard that it's like these bitches are still trying to catch up. If you had told me that the Xbox port of Half-Life 2 was the high watermark for storytelling, even now with all this time having passed, I, I just don't think I could have believed it. Mm -hmm. You know, like with with all of the rumors of everything that was coming with the next generation of games and like PC gaming really breaking open like the home PC game market. Yeah, I I wouldn't have believed you. You mm -hmm. know, especially like playing this game that I heard hyped up for the better part of a year, and then like finally getting to experience it. I I I knew it was something special, mm -hmm. but, but I just I can't believe that we haven't had anything come close to eclipsing it yet. Yeah, exactly. Like there are many 
there are games that like live in my brain rent free like obviously you and i have like an efficient an appreciation of metal gear solid because you know metal gear solid rules but like i feel like half-life 2 was a juggernaut of its era and, and especially in the context of the year it came out like this was 2004 like halo 2 came out in the same year like 2004 was like a big year and half-life 2 pretty much has st stood the test of time as like this insurmountable juggernaut of the industry where like people are still referencing it as like a, a calling back point or a sort of a a uh like a a place to sort of uh build your premise off of i think it speaks volumes of just the for lack of a better way to say it immense balls by valve to just do this and i want to say like six years in game development that is development hell for lack of a better way to say but not in valve time like valve said uh, Gabe Newell said, like, you have unlimited budget and you have as much time as you need. Do something that it beats Half-Life 1. And look what we've got. A game that quite literally can't get its own sequel. Man, yeah. Well, even the episodes, like, as unique and, like, carrying the torch of Half-Life 2 as they may be, they, they pale in comparison yeah and like uh even gabe has said like he thought like episode content was going to be like the way of the future but then by like episode one he's like eh probably not <laughs> like uh <sighs> half-life tool fucking rules man like i think of just like oh. the the moment to moment experience of this game is just unfucking rivaled I think there's something really special. Like it was lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's transcended all this time because we're almost 20 years removed from it. And it still resonates with me as like a juggernaut of storytelling in a video game. Yeah. And this yeah. is a game that has like a level select option on the, the main menu. Remember when that was like a thing you could do in games? Some games just don't even bother with that anymore. <laughs> yeah, man. Like you have these, I don't know, like archaic primordial game elements existing in the same time as this photo real sci-fi epic. Um, and it sells it convincingly and to a degree that it's fucking unparalleled today. It, I mean, like, even Valve's own products like have to be measured against Half Life Two. Like, even like Portal, like which was basically started off as a college kid project at a at a as as at a pro like a a show thing sort of project. Even like it's you know Portal and Portal Two are measured against Half Life Two. Like every Valve game, 
at least in the single player experience world has to be measured against this one. It's like, you know, in hindsight, I understand why Valve never went back to game development like full time. It's like you kind of had your magnum opus then and everything after that is measured against that. Like, I, I, I feel for that development team of episode three, cause I can't imagine the hell that they were going through. It's like, what the fuck do we even do? <laughs> Man. Yeah. And like, I, I'm kind of a unique case in that during the heyday of a lot of these games, they existed to me as like a a whisper or like a secondhand experience that I was being being kind of like casually led into by other people's exposure to them. And mm-hmm. that level of word of mouth doesn't really exist so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Like with you been and just the internet and social media in general is like I'm continually force fed advertisements for things that I have no desire to be involved in anyway. Yeah. So like I picked up through osmosis so much uh, uh, of these pieces of media that like I get the picture. Yeah. But like nobody prepared me for Half-Life 2. Like nobody I don't think could have in, in any any kind of like article or you know early youtube video um really kind of explain especially youtube back then (laughs) (laughs) like had the know-how to like dissect this video and present it to me in a way that would make me appreciate all of the little parts that made it so significant yeah and to go off that as you know you and i were in that sort of moment in time of early youtube it's like people really almost couldn't explain half-life 2 you had to sort of like see the parts that made half-life 2 like you know the gmod animations we were talking about it's like you were seeing like the bits and bobs that are the core of half-life 2 and they kind of create this mystique of the game that make you kind of just curious to see like what is what is this thing that has clearly influenced millions of people i mean there's it's safe to say like you know half-life 2 has like changed the way people see the potential of games and I think we benefited you and I benefited from like early internet or you know early ish internet where it, it wasn't like having to explain like in a video essay saying, you know, this is how a game should be. Like I'm not gonna I'm gonna analyze like the gameplay mechanics and you know separate from the experience. Like Half Life Two is an experience through it's like the collective glue of its parts like the gameplay the shooting gameplay feeds into the atmosphere the atmosphere feeds into the music the music feeds into the story the story feeds into the gameplay it's like this beautiful mobius strip of just like feedback into itself uh, sort of thing where like you know 
games even today struggle like melding the sort of immersive quality that half-life 2 accomplished in 2004 you know like half-life 2 felt like in many cases it kind of felt like the sort of ending of games in a way like half-life 2 came at a time right before like the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 and it's like Half-Life 2 was sort of like the sort of uh the sort of grand opus orchestral piece saying we've hit the sort of climactic end of like peak or not maybe end but like peak of what games can do and this is what games should do if we want to engage a player and cause them to think obsessively about, you know, uh, uh, Kleiner and his pet head crab, or, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, Dr. Breen and his dealings with the combine or Alex's struggle, you know, or whatever you, whatever, whatever it is inside this game, it's like, we, <laughs> Half-Life 2 is sort of like a it's like a Mount Everest so to say of gaming. Like there's you you it's like where do you go from there sort of a thing. And I know that that's like primarily the the fruit of Valve's labor and like getting the right people and giving them the ultimate level of freedom but with the the proper kind of restriction like we were talking about earlier is like you know Gabe being able to say you know like it needs to be fun like it you're doing the right thing like with the portal development where he's like maybe stay away from all the weird shit and and add a story to it like a playground is fine, but people get bored of the playground. You have to give them something to search for. Mm-hmm. Like, God damn, this game is fucking amazing, ain't it? Like, <laughs> like... it really is, bro. Like, it really is. I, 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 you know, obviously, like, I can think of games that have had such like an immense magnet, the earth-shaking power over me like I, I you know look at the games that I have talked about in this show in of itself but it's like Half-Life 2 it's almost like not even a game it's like a it's like a way of life in a way where you know you had it, it <laughs> you had to be there like you had to understand where gaming was at that period of time in the sort of, you know, when PS2 sort of opened us up to the sort of auteur possibilities, and then Half-Life is like, well, well, Sonny, have you seen this kind of shit sort of thing? Like, you know, the Half-Life 2 was in a way like, this is, it, to me, it's like, it was the signaling of the PS3 and 360's peak potential and grandeur and excitement that we all were going to experience like we're going to go we're going to go even farther than the playstation 2 in terms of of an experience and 
to see the games have not even come close to that. While it is sad, I I know that like Half Life Two will literally ring so loud and proud in so many ears. I I I know that there is like some twenty something who is like making the indie game because they were inspired by Half Life Two. Like the the impact that this game has had not just on me and you but like the millions of people who got to experience this is like you know even as i sit here and think like uh man games suck nowadays like western developers are fucking ass you know angry video game nerd this game is a bunch of fucking ass like like (laughs) like half-life 2 happened and Half-Life 2 is in our minds. We played it. We experienced it. And there are young indie developers or maybe even developers in the industry who carry that sort of torch into the future. And it it really does make me sort of hopeful that like we can return to a moment like this. You know, I I'm very much in the vein of like not being like don't succumb to like a black pill mentality and it's like if we didn't have half-life then it'd be, i mean we probably would have been a black pill world but like because half-life 2 exists there's still potential for so many people to deliver a beautiful experience like this i'm i'm a strong and firm believer in not black pilling I I really think if anything like Gordon's struggle against the bleak kind of fate in the world he representing us the player does just that he he kind of takes it upon himself to corrective with a corrective hand um, to kind of like overthrow the misfortunes in front of them. Mm-hmm. And something about that, it, it, it is inspiring, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the power of Half-Life is that because Gordon is mute in the game where he doesn't have like, you know, he doesn't fire off lines back at people. Gordon's... No yeah, like Gordon's story, Gordon's adventure is yours, and like that nigga just like me for real. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking true, but like because he, you know, because he had in a way he has no character. He has all the character because he's so me. He's so me. God damn it, he's. Like, I, I, because a game like Half Life Two exists, like, damn, if there ain't some autistic retard in the world who's like making their own Half Life Two, then goddamn it, like, let you know, games aren't dead, so to say. I don't know. It's Half Life Two, despite it's like bleak and depressing universe of just humanity ready to die like the rise of the free men you know 
we are going to sort of rise up, gamers. We are going to rise the fuck up. It isn't Half Life Two the best? Uh, can you hear me? Uh, I don't know if you can hear me or not. I can hear you. Oh, you're probably cutting out right now. Maybe. Uh, I hope not. This will be strange. Because this isn't as like clear-cut as the first disconnect. Uh, are you there? On my screen, your microphone goes mute frequently. I'm guessing on my end, you, you probably can't hear me. This is going to be interesting for anybody who's listening. <laughs> Logan, can you hear me? I can hear, like, the static of you moving. But... This is strange. <laughs> this, is... this is so weird. I don't know what is going on, but this will be a fun little moment in the episode. I just hear you rustling. There we go. Okay, he disconnected. We are going to copy that in invite link again. Okay. Then. <laughs> and he's back. Sorry about that, buddy. No, it's fine. People get to hear me like talking to myself like cuz I just hear you like rustling. <laughs> I I was like the audio dropped out. Fuck. It, it connected funny. for a moment. It connected to like the laptop and then back to my headphones and then like a playlist on Spotify started playing. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay. <laughs> what the fuck?" This is the G-man's taking you out of control. Bro, I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> but I was saying I guess, you know, to wrap it up, I guess for tonight, I don't know. Um, Half-Life 2, even even in the midst of, like, these sort of bleak world that it presents, it's a very hopeful game. Like, because Gordon is a blank slate for you to occupy, like, you are able to sort of, like, take control of things like you know obviously his name free man has sort of weight to it all like you as a player are the free man to do anything and even as games at least in the western sense struggle to understand what is captivating like i think that like there is some autistic indie game developer who is like inspired by this game can hopefully like start the charge out of the muck and gloop
I really hope so. It, I, I, you know, even at the bare minimum, like it, at least Half Life Two happened, you know, and maybe, maybe in the future we'll get some kind of resolution, but uh, again, it's I have enough. Even yeah. if there's no definitive answer, like the the lore I've concocted in my head is mm-hmm. like just as good to me. Yeah. I mean even even in the moment of like the sort of desperation and wanting for an episode three, like the stories that have been crafted not just by me or you but by so many people, like if like Valver just, you know, you know, knock on wood, like Valver to disappear tomorrow. Like I know Valve Valve happened, Half-Life happened, and that makes me just a happy gamer. And that's really what it's all about, man. It's you know, it doesn't have to be anything grandiose, even though it was. Mm-hmm. It sat out to tell its story and its way, and I, for my money, um, it, it's done it better than anyone else. So damn true, bestie. Like, and I honestly, I I've had enough to drink, and I think that's where <laughs> we will. I think that's where we will cut it for tonight. <laughs>